Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malkin. Today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as Comedy Boy. <laughs> Touring two shows in 2017, Problematic, Link, and Boundless Planes to Share, Link. Link. Podcast, Link. <laughs> Humans of Twitter is their stories, in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Tom Ballard. Hello, Stevie. Link. Link. Should I have something more interesting in my profile? Should I be like, I say what I think. <laughs> if you don't like it, then too bad. Get off. Retweets and radical endorsements. Oh, well, you you would have to include that if you were a journalist. Well, I think. I well, I had a bit of actually back and forth. Someone was having a go at me after my uh, stint on Q and A mm. recently, and I tweeted a range of things relating to the protesters that that yes. um, out there, and uh, and also some some other uh, perspectives on Bill Leake and his work. And uh, this guy refused to accept that retweets um, did not equal endorsement. So he couldn't buy that you were just sharing something that people might find interesting or yes, engaging. Yes, and, and by tweeting articles about the people who protested during Q&A, I was legitimising their protest and, and putting my cards wow. on the table as to who exactly I supported. And also, my retweet of Lee Sales' story about Bill Leake, that yes. was in Cecilia. You see, that's, that's what I was supposed uh, to do to try and cover up my bias. Right. So he could read into the subtext <laughs> of the retweet and tell me exactly what I was doing there. Who would be a famous person in Australia in 2017? Tom Ballard. Who would what? Oh, who would, would be? be? Oh, yes, it's person. a nightmare. Every every day's a, a freaking. Uh, can I swear? Yeah, please. Every day's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Particularly when you start to head down a path of, you know, someone who wants to engage with yes the general population or, or you know engage in social media. Yep. The very nature of it being social. Yes. All, all of a sudden, more like anti-social media, if you ask me. It get it gets crazy <laughs> at times, right? I just, the number of times I've had to learn the lesson, don't engage, don't engage. And particularly when I do things every now and again that aren't, that aren't comedic, that are a little bit more in, you know, the serious realm, I put out what I really think about there, or obviously, you know, hosting Q&A is, is quite a um, po-faced gig, and uh, we're talking about some serious stuff. Yeah. Uh, I've just, I've got to refrain from trying to resolve those culture war debates in 140 characters. I should just try and be funny and put links. <laughs> Funny and links, that's all I should do. I guess you find yourself in an interesting position because there aren't too many people. I mean, for a start, Q&A is a show that attracts audience X. It's a Mm. finite size, grows, ebbs and flows, depending on people who are doing it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a a segment of Australian society know what it is and engage with it every Monday night. You're one of three people, I think, that have hosted the program. Maybe, Maybe four. four. I think Annabelle, Annabelle. Sarah, yep. Well, that's five then. Oh, yep. Because obviously Tony is a yes. key host. Virginia Trioli's done it a couple of times yourself. Annabelle Crabb, yep. correctly. Sarah Ferguson, I think, has done it once or twice. Yep. Sorry, Mrs. Tony has done it once or twice. Please. <laughs> um, I can, I, can you imagine what journalist Sarah in would get? Yes, right. Like in that context, we talk about the criticism that comes to people that have a profile. Yes. Sarah Ferguson, incredibly uh, talented journalist, host of her own TV show yes. on the ABC, Walkley's Out of Everything. Yeah. 
oh, nepotism is not dead. Right. Tony gets his wife to host. Whatever. Yes. No, I mean, yes, it's it's a slightly poisoned chalice. I enjoy doing the show, uh, and it's an honour to be asked, but... I get, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm certainly not going to um, curtail my political expression outside of that gig for the sake of occasionally filling in for Tony sure. Jones, as much as I love doing it and, and would happily go back any time. Um, yeah, I'm a comedian first and foremost, and I'm, I'm getting a bit more politically active out there, so, um, yeah, that's not going to stop anytime soon. The, the interesting thing for mine is that in them asking you to be involved... Mm. Not that you weren't political before, but I think that the stuff particularly that you speak about on stage now is more overtly political. Mm. But it was, Tom, we'd love you to come and have a go at this thing before it was the Tom now. Sure. Balanced Plains Tom. I guess it was kind of um, presenting skills. The first one in 2015, the first one was this this queer special uh, 20 mm-hmm. years since Priscilla, Queen of the Desert came out. Um, you know, Fred Nile was on the paddle. Yes. Um, I remember it well. It was right. a really good episode because oh, of how you managed to maintain oh, a broadly respectful conversation. Well, I hope that's very nice. I mean, Fred Nile afterwards said that he thought I did a good job. And that was a point of pride for me because I felt like, you know... Fred and I have very different views <laughs> on the world. If he feels like he was well done by in the course mm. of that conversation, then then there, you know there must have been something to that, and it was going along okay. Um, so I guess initially it was just you know presenting skills that I maybe had, and that they wanted to give me another chance on on the station, which was really good. But um, but yeah, since then certainly I guess I've I've been pushing a few more buttons politically and putting stuff out there. Um, but yeah, no, I love doing the gig. It's great. But I and, and I certainly don't view hosting that role as any way to further a political <laughs> agenda that I have. That would be the worst fucking way to do that, by the way. Yeah, for sure. And secondly, when you're in that chair, your job is to get the question answered. That is actually your job. So mm. no matter where the questioner is coming from, your job is to listen to what the panel say and how they respond, and try and ask yourself: Have they actually addressed the question there? And is the the questioner's um, case being prosecuted here in some yes. way but they're answering the question so that's that's actually the challenge and you get to say the immortal words I'll take that as a comment I'll take that as a comment I, st- I think I did that once maybe in the first one still haven't done it I don't think he says it that much more anymore does he? Oh, I, I, look having not interviewed Tony to know for sure <laughs> yes. I, I think the postulation is he is aware of the fact that that phrase has entered into the yes, vernacular because of it. Yes. That now it's like, when well, no, I can't say it. Or that when I say it, it's almost a... It has a lot of power. With great power comes great responsibility. I, exactly. It's yeah. quanta bingo. Yes. <laughs> Tom, how do you, uh, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, um, I just say I'm Tom, generally. Um... Gosh, I'm trying to think now. I mean, yeah, I just try and say I'm uh, Tom. I try and explain what relation I have to the maybe mutual friend or mutual person that we might know. Part-time Q&A host. Oh, right, but I don't... I never say I'm Tom and I'm a comedian. Mm. I try and push that as far back as possible into the conversation because... Or if I get in Ubers or taxi drive or taxis or anything like that, I just think it's... If they ask the question, I'll, I'll answer. I would never quite lie, but yes, I just I'd rather talk to people as as just normal people, you know, as opposed yeah. to a kind of comedian performer vibe. Well, it becomes the weight of expectation, doesn't it? Yeah, if you said, "Hi, yeah. I'm Tom, and I'm a doctor." Yes. What kind of doctor? What kind Tom? of doctor? Yeah. You're a comedian. Oh, tell us a joke. Tell us a joke is classic. Yes, I've never heard of you. <laughs> 
do you know this racist, sexist comedian? I think he's hilarious. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Yeah, I guess everyone's got their own tastes, really, don't they? Um, that's how the conversation often goes. But, yes, I mean, there is just... If you mention you're a comedian and mm. they don't know, they've never heard of you, there is an air... There's something in the air that indicates, well, you can't be that good then, can you? <laughs> if you're not Carl Barron, you can't be that good, really. Can you, mate? Do you know Daryl Summers? Yeah. <laughs> can you hook me up with the Austin? Oh, God, old school. Yeah, well, for a lot of people, that was their first exposure to a lot of comedians and, and even comedy yes. in the variety context. You know, we, we had in Melbourne Tonight and those kinds of late-night shows, mm. and then it kind of straddled between them um, post-Don Lane... Mm. Before we started to get Tonight Live, or it was about the same time, but it was almost a different market. Yeah. So comedians, we, of course, they dredge up now because, luckily, people have recognised we don't record over tapes at television stations. <laughs> we just digitise the, the hell out of everything. Yeah. Because we will then want to show the first time that Kate Blanchett yes. appeared on Hey Hey Saturday, or when Tripod came and did their right, right. red faces thing. Um, will your first live performance on television come back to haunt you at some point? Or has it already? I've got ahead of it, yes. Uh, on my first DVD, uh, my only DVD, which was uh, the recording of my show, Tom Ballard is What He Is, one of the bonus features was my first spot on Channel 31. Great. On a show called Studio A. It's hosted by Dave Thornton. Yeah. Um, during which my microphone cut out halfway through my set. Yes. And all you could hear was the audio from the guest who'd just been on at the desk, which was a man with an intellectual disability who'd been in a band and was promoting the band. The band were doing fantastic, but he wasn't too much of a fan of me, and so my mic cuts out, and all you can hear is him going, queer. (laughs) (laughs) And then the sound guy in the studio wanted to try and fix my mic but stay out of shot, so he knelt down in front of me and was trying to fix my mic pack. But, of course, to the live audience, it just looked like he was giving me a blowjob and uh, it all went right bad. Goodness. Good stuff. <laughs> it really, it really I, I'm sure, encouraged you to want to go back into the medium of television. Well, I got laughs. <laughs> and then I was, I think I was in the running to do a spot on Rove. Mm. Um, and I think literally weeks before they announced that uh, we're wrapping this one up, everyone. That's right. Thank you, guys. We're out of yes. here. Which, and that would have been huge for me because I, yeah, I grew up watching Rove and that mm. show meant uh, so much to me and stuff. So um, that was a, a shame. But then, you know, doing the gala for the first time, that was like kind of mind blowing because even though that didn't go to air, didn't didn't actually get on the final broadcast. But you know, being on the thing that I'd watched so much yeah. as a kid, used to tape on VHS and watch again and again and yeah, again yeah. until it got like fuzzy grey lines all over it. Yeah, that was really cool. That sucks, though. I mean, cool that you had the opportunity and experience. Yes. But that first time at the gala, hey, I did it. Oh, hang on, I'm not in the edit. Not actually in the edit, yeah. I, we got the footage, it went on YouTube. And I thought it was like, oh, you know, I might not do very well, and then they'd cut me. I was prepared for that, but mm. I thought I'd done quite well, and it still didn't make the broadcast. So, oh. yes. But that's showbiz, baby. It's it's an interesting and very fickle beast, isn't it? Particularly Australian showbiz. Mm. Uh, and comedy and television and that kind of mix because you're right, once Rove ended, mm. the opportunity for comedians on television in in that truest stand-up, get your spot, have your moment set mm. kind of vanished. It's it's completely gone now. And now, you know, Channel 10 have said we're not doing the galas or the debates now. Just, we're, we're focusing on fat people losing weight and people eating weird shit in the jungle. Because um, at least one of them has been successful for them. <laughs> 
It just makes me fucking sad, man. I just, I don't... And Ben Elton got a show. Remember that? I remember it well. I mean, you know, good luck to him. Good luck to all the people involved. But I just remember the the soul-crushing realisation of how... Uh, risk averse and often boring, particularly the commercial networks, mm. can be in, in choosing yeah, kind of live entertainment for comedians. And now, you know, I think the ABC and SBS make really cool stuff, but mm. but where is it? Where is where is the chance to do um, interesting stand up on Australian TV? And I guess now, well, thankfully, it's Stan is sort of helping come in there and, and give me and some other comics uh, the kind of the chance to do specials that Australians will watch. We hope. Well, I would expect so. Mm. It's a it's a bold move, mm. you know, for Stan in this context to, to bring out their one night stand series featuring yourself and, and five other pretty cracking comedians. Yes, much yes, much better. I they feel like I've snuck in there. <laughs> oh, please, <laughs> I've squeezed in. Yes, uh, but, but to have that uh, at the time of recording, it starts this Friday. By the mm-hmm. time this comes out, I think yours will have just joined the list or about to join the list. Cool. Um, I noticed actually when I was pulling up at your hotel. I don't know if we can see it here, but across the road. Oh, I have seen that. Is the billboard? It, yes. Now I'm sure in your time you've walked past walls where your face has been plastered across it with flyers and all of the rest of it. Yes. What's it like seeing it on electronic billboards? Electronic billboard is called the Age newspaper. The entire front cover yeah. was an ad for Stan, which was a bittersweet moment of like, oh, that's so cool. I'm on the front page of the Age, and oh, print is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Like, whenever I saw the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald and the full thing was an ad, I was just like, that's so sad and awful. But then with this one, I was like, well, it is promoting my comedy. So, you know, I was torn. Um, <laughs> but it's really nice. I think, you know, Stan is certainly not holding back. They are, they are flogging it real hard. Mm. And, um, you know, if I may say so, so they should because they, these are really primo A-grade specials and it's something that has not been made for Australian TV Um or Australian screens generally for, for, for a very long time. Yeah, the, the most that comedy... Or people who t- don't, you know, dip into comedy, if they don't go to see live shows around comedy festival times or, yep. or see people at various venues, yep. their only other option until now has really been, oh, the gala, yep. the, the debate, the yep. something else, or maybe if you're lucky, an ABC2 special, yep. you know, people getting half hours and, and that kind of thing. Yep. So what is a few big... Stand up on the footy show. Uh, please, yep. if we can. Yeah. <laughs> 60, 90-minute specials, yeah. like all Tom Ballard all the time, yes. just bringing the truth bombs. But, you know, uncensored, um, yeah, not edited to within an inch of its life, mm. um, a special that's allowed to breathe, a, a special that's, you know, in the same vein as, like, the big specials that inspire you as a comedian mm. for, that you see on Netflix or or you know, YouTube pirated, you know, like, shows, yeah, full-length shows filmed in front of an audience of people who are into you in, in a really nice theatre, um, you know, shot with multiple cameras in a pretty way. It's it's awesome. Yeah, and watching the edit back, I was, yes, very, it was very, uh, not moving, that would be ridiculous, but just a nice kind of like, um, very satisfying thing to watch. And um, so, yeah, I hope people will dig it. I'm sure a great um, affirmation for you as a performer to be able to see, because you would have seen yourself, you know, strut your stuff before and that people would have filmed it, right. either intentionally or otherwise, Yes. Uh, to do that. But to have this, this is the Tom Ballard 
right. show. This yes. is my thing. Yes. Uh, and watching it back, it's good to hear that you had that opportunity. I, not that I would have doubted it, but to be able to see it and go, yep, this all has come together well. There's yep. no jokes or a, um, a punchline that's out of place because of the edit or, or something yes. like that. Yes, yes. And yes, being able to give notes back. Editors are really sensitive to you know what makes good, good stand-up comedy. Um, and yeah, no like cutaways to the audience laughing pointlessly <laughs> to remind you how comedy works. And <laughs> and also, we just yeah, I've, I recorded my first show in two thousand nine uh, or two thousand ten, I think, mm. and then haven't recorded anything since then. So, you know, a frustration with comedy comedians perhaps sometimes is just like you burn through so much material. You write a show, and then as soon as the festival season's done, it's gone. So documenting all that and getting to be able to take my favorite stuff from the from my comedy over the past couple of years and put work them into that show that was um that was really fun was grade 11 tom always destined for comedy (laughs) grade 11 tom um no i wanted to be an actor really that was the plan and Mm. so i failed at that i didn't get into into any acting schools and i kept doing stand-up because i was doing yeah um, high school competitions class clowns and then raw comedy um and then just kind of got more and more addicted to it and wanted to keep doing it. But, but no, I, th- I would have. I think in year eleven, I still would have been like, acting is for me. Yes, and comedy is still proper theatre. I'm not a clown. <laughs> Who won um, Raw the year that you were in it? Hannah Gadsby. Never heard of her. Hack. Complete hack. Uh, yes, Hannah Gadsby was in that final. Uh, ben Jenkins, um, who now works in the Chasers stuff. Yes. Um, uh, David Quirk, I think, was in oh, that competition. Wow. Maybe, maybe, I think. Um, and Celia Bagola, yeah. This, and, and this is an interesting thing, particularly for... That, that I think is unique to Australia in the way that raw comedy connects to the, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Mm. But that we can look back and see these almost graduating classes of comedians that have decided this is the route I want to go, I'll give it a shake or Mm. whatever, and you hear some of these names that now we look at and go, well, you know, who's ever heard of Hannah Gadsby? Yes. Silly Picola's done nothing. (laughs) Um, Like those kinds of things. And for all of the successes, there are absolutely people who, you know, tried it, didn't make it not their thing, or tried it and persevered. And yeah, there were people who did raw. Who you would have, I mean, you would have seen their raw sets, and you're going like, "Oh, that's a shame," or you know, "That's a weird angle on," you know, didn't quite work mm. out for them. And then they're still around now, and they are killing it because they have taken the time um, to figure out what is funny about them and what they love doing in comedy, which is the only maybe slight downside to comedy competitions is that when you're doing them your your head is filled with like competition and oh if I fuck this up that's it whereas of course the process of figuring out what you mm. are as a comedian is a very very long thing and yeah. then of course you're never defined by any one gig or what have you and if anything you should just sort of you know gently introduce you to the world of comedy and hopefully inspire you to, to keep it up and to keep keep doing it yeah can performers, comedians, be gently introduced to the world of comedy though, when you live or die by that last punchline and the laugh that may or may not follow? I just think, well, I just think like bombing at a raw heat mm. is the best version of bombing maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not. Maybe all your friends and family are there and you, <laughs> you tangibly lose something. But... You know, the process of being welcomed, the comedy festival does quite a lot of work to say, you know, Mm. don't worry about winning or anything, just try and do the best gig you can, let's give you support and resources and help you along this process of doing Raw. For class clowns, you actually get a workshop with a professional comedian before you do your heat. So it is, you know, 
yeah, yeah, comedy is fucking brutal, but uh, those those competitions are set up to try and make it as um, amenab- amenable as amenable. Um, yeah, you know, words. That's a word. Amenable. Yeah, as amenable as easy. I'm probably that's probably wrong. Do you find that your comedic voice has changed or has it developed as you've improved as a performer? It changed a lot compared to, like, when I did Raw, I was 16 years old, and I was doing wacky jokes about Mm -hmm. one-liners, about pigs not having the ability to look up, and uh, random tiny-sized Mars bars. Jokes that were just jokes, and didn't really say anything about me or what I thought about the world. Uh, When I figured out I was gay, I started talking about that on stage, and that was sort of a bit of an evolution. And then over the past couple of years, it's been about, um, yes, trying to figure out how to make my political opinions funny and to try and say something through that comedy and try and make it about stuff that I'm really passionate about, I think. So, yeah, that's at least in terms of what I'm talking about, I think that that's mm. certainly changed. And... I hope, at least, that I'm I'm much more present in my material, and I'm um, I'm doing things differently. I try to think about, you know, whether the routine I'm writing at the moment it has been done before is a little bit hackneyed or might. Yeah. Um, so so hopefully that's part of it as well. But I don't know. If that's that's a question for other people to figure out. <laughs> do Do you find that it's harder? To take the, the the political your political feelings and thoughts and and find the funny parts of that while still maintaining the truth of what has motivated that versus pigs can't look up. <laughs> I mean, I I I try really hard to have funny as the a number one. Mm. one yeah, that is the most important thing first of all. And if you're making a good point, who gives a fuck? You're a comedian. So the I, the sweet spot is is two things at the same time, which, you know, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, uh, Patton Oswalt, mm. um, Rod Quantock, often Judith Lucy, uh, you know, people absolutely nail this, like, oh, God, that's funny, and oh, God, that's true, and says something about, you know, society and politics today. That's what you're going for. Yeah. Um, and... I've had some times where I've written a joke that probably isn't that funny but does finish on a point where people can clap and agree and I've tried to move them out of my act as much as possible mm. because you're kind of like, it's semi-cheating. You know, yes. <laughs> they should be laughing, laughing, laughing that should then transform into a round of applause because you're so funny and and uh, yes. um, articulate and insightful. <laughs> Fuck, I hate myself even saying this. <laughs> Imagine the people listening to this. Oh, well, look, as much as anything, those that have hung in so far, <laughs> I'm sure are interested in your process. Good. You're damn right. You've <laughs> done okay. Yeah. Your process. You're happy within yourself. <laughs> yep. Every night is constant self-doubt. Jesus Christ. What am I doing? I should have gone to uni. <laughs> What would you be doing if if the theatre hadn't called or performing hadn't grabbed you? I did do six weeks of law mm-hmm. and dropped out. Um, Good move. Well, I, well, I mean, you know, things have worked out very nicely, and I feel very lucky uh, to live the life I do. I would like to think that I would be some kind of celebrated human rights lawyer, mm-hmm. but uh, that's probably a wank. Um, but I would, I would like to go back to uni at some point. I think learning's real good, and I think, uh, I think as a comedian, you sort of 
probably know a lot about like the surface level of quite a few different topics as yeah. you maybe research them or think about them for your comedy. But if anyone asked you like three questions, further questions to probe deeper, you'd be like, I have no idea. Um, so yes, the, the, and I'm jealous of people who've had that process of going to university and having their minds blown apart and meeting new people like that. So I'd like to do that one day. But yeah, in another life, I'd probably be doing some kind of nerdy, mm-hmm. lorey scenario, maybe politicsy things. What are you learning about yourself as as you developed, particularly your political show, and and then in presenting it? Hmm. About myself. Um. Well, as I as as I've become more politically aware, I guess, or agitated, mm. I'm reading more about people who do that full time, and I've met yeah. a few of those people as well. I've a podcast myself where I interview those kind of people, and I find that fascinating. I find people who are so passionate and determined and clear minded and um, morally pure. Yes. Uh, to be endlessly fascinating and inspirational and a reflection of my shittiness. I just think my default for a long time is like, I'm a good person, surely. And then you just think more about it and you think, well, I'm not doing this. I still take drugs sometimes. Why aren't I a vegan? Um, I spend a lot of my time and money on frivolous things. You know, oh, I want to buy a house around the Melbourne CBD, so I better save up for that. Couldn't that money be used to different... You know, like, all the things that, you, that I'm not doing. All the things? Yes, all the things. So, um, yes, the constant uh, sensation of guilt gripping at my heart. That's been fun to recognise. But, well, I, I put to you, Tom... Yes. Is it guilt, or is it you acknowledging that in your life there are these other competing priorities mm. or things that you deem as important and for some of it it's an acknowledgement I want to be a part of these things mm. but right now I have to work towards that and for mm. some of it's like yeah that'd be nice but this is way too fun for me right now <laughs> yes but that's not a moral defence <laughs> no it's really fun oh that's totally fun no I mean being a I, I've accepted that I want to be a comedian and a mm. performer and I want to make creative things, okay? Now, that is a ridiculous thing to do with your life. <laughs> and the fact that I get to do that is an extraordinary privilege. So, if possible, I should use it to try and do some good stuff. And if yeah. that just means literally just raising enough as much money for charity as will let me sleep at night, then yeah. so be it. Um and if you can use that platform to promote the voices of real people doing actual good stuff um, or to try and hopefully make people think about things in a different way, then that's good. Whilst never having delusions that, you know, my comedy show is going to be able to change the world. Um, I just think that comedians and creative people are in this unique situation where you can chuck out all the rules and you don't have to be beholden to... You know, not looking ridiculous. You can yes. just constantly celebrate a different way of thinking about the world and imagining different possibilities and compelling people and constantly reminding people that um, the world is fucked up for a lot of people in a lot of different mm. ways. And so we should try and think about that every day if we can. How does Tom Ballard make his patch of the world a little bit less fucked up every day? Oh, God. Um... I try and donate money to charity whenever possible. I 
I try and say yes to like if you're walking down the street and someone on the street asks you for money and you have money, just say yes. Don't think about it, just say yes. Um, I try to listen as much as I can to people who know a lot more about that kind of stuff than me. Mm. Um, I visit people in detention. I started doing that before uh, as part of sort of research for, for my show, Balance Plans to Share, and I try to keep that up. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, I want to try and do a lot more charity gigs and benefit gigs, raising money for for good parent people and charities. Um, I recycle. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Look, and you know, this is a sort of sinister facet of this. But as you get more politically involved, as you meet people who are doing it really tough, and talk to people who work in in charity sectors and you know for human rights stuff every day. Yes, there is this. This weird comfort you can take, I find anyway, where if I'm dealing with any shit in my life, reminding myself of those people's struggles makes me feel much better about my problems. Mm. It helps me put my problems into perspective quite quite easily. Yeah. So yes, I'm a bit sad because of this breakup I'm going through, but I'm not in detention. Yes. Or, you know... Um, you know, yes, I didn't get that TV show, but I can absolutely put dinner on the table tonight and pay my rent, and it's no problem whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you know, all my family is still alive and loving and caring and accepting. And uh, yes, there's some discrimination against gay against me as a gay person, but compared to say young trans teens and stuff, I've got it pretty easy. You know, this is the constant mm. putting your problems into perspective. I find is a good solution for. <clears throat> For, uh, for other troubles in your life. That's a, re- a, a pretty radically developed place to be like for you- someone that makes <laughs> dick jokes for half their life, right? I just... There's no other way to be for me. I mean, you know, some people in comedy have mental... Uh, health problems, mm. and that's no good, and that's not a rash- that doesn't come from a rational place. If you don't find yourself in that position, to me, the only rational response to being a full-time comedian is, "Fucking check this out. This is a- how am I getting away with this? Yeah. I should spend every single second of every <laughs> single day being thankful and trying to use what I've got uh, to make the world less shit, if possible. If possible. If po- yeah, if possible, please." <laughs> I'm glad you brought up your podcast before, Tom. Um, if it's okay, a, a couple of questions sure. uh, about it. The thing that I found confronting mm. about your podcast is that, like standard podcast form is, sit down with someone that is amenable and that you're happy to have a conversation with. Yep. We record things. Hopefully there is fun times. End of podcast. Yes. The conversations that you have with people on your podcast sometimes are not, hey, so let's hang out tonight. No. It's, hello, person who has said some <laughs> things directly about me in the media. Yes. Come and sit down and talk with me, please. I'm not going to be rude to you directly necessarily. Yes. Where where does that come from? As not only a place to begin, mm. but then how do you find those conversations with people whose just straight-out opinions are not what you would subscribe to ever all at ever? Well, I, you know, if I'm honest, I love talking to to all sorts of people on my podcast, but the mm. conversations that I do get excited about or think, okay, there's something going on here, there's something that's going to be different to people, are the ones with, with people who uh, don't politically agree with me. So I get excited about doing them. I get scared about doing them because sure. I'm worried they're going to tear down my entire worldview and expose me for the fraud I am. <laughs> but... 
I mean, I have tremendous respect for someone like Lyle Shelton from the Australian Christian Lobby agreeing to do my podcast. Mm. I don't know why he would do that, but he did. I think Peter Reith didn't really have any idea who I was, so he said yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, what a podcast is. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh he's, he's just gone into hospital today. I hope you find Peter, yes. if you're listening to Humans on Twitter. Um, I always listen. Always, always big fan. Big I fan. get notes. Big fan. He'll be fine. Um, but... God, if this goes... Okay. No disrespect to Peter Reed, please get well. <laughs> yes. But uh, I've got uh, Senator James Patterson coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, I mean, I just... Uh, we, we have to try. And I do think there is something special about the podcast medium, where mm. it is sitting down with two people in a conversation like you would in real life, yeah. as opposed to live radio or live TV, where people are, you know, hounding you for an answer to the question, uh, waiting for you to slip up, you know, very much a gotcha kind of moment. Yeah. The podcast allows people to, you know, rephrase something if they didn't phrase it very well, mm. or reconsider their position, or, you know, I've had people, like, literally answering a question and then say, no, actually, I don't actually think that. Let me let me think about that again. It's, it's human. Yeah. Um, and it's so much a better representation of the kind of conversations we have as people about politics and complicated ideas. Um, so I find it much more um, enlightening. And when people tweet me, you know, like, oh, I never really liked that person, but I heard that podcast and it made me see at least where they are coming from, Yeah. then I think that's, that's good news. Um, and I've had a few politicians on, and even then, it's, yeah, it's not quite the standard politician response all the time because mm-hmm. we're also talking about bigger questions about why they got into politics and what they believe and kind of you know first principles kind of stuff when it comes to their politics so I find that really um, intriguing I am surprised that maybe some more stories haven't come out of my podcast mm-hmm. I, don't, I just don't think journalists listen to them at all or across them that much or aren't desperate enough yet I guess not it's a weird one, isn't it? Because quite often, yeah. in just the podcast that I listen to, and I'm sure the same for you, let alone the content you create, yeah. there are these little jams. You just yeah. go, well, I didn't know that about this person. And sure. that's yes. a fairly serious thing to connect or engage with. Yes. And you think, well, this is going to show up in tomorrow's blah, 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 confidential yeah. minimum. Right. Something. No, radio no. silence. It's not there. Because that would take, you know, an hour effort. of the time. Yeah. <laughs> or effort to It's to more than five on. minutes in. Yeah, and it's still, podcasts are still just this kind of um, subculture of the Australian media, bizarrely. Yet uh, a a major television network now is making and promoting podcasts. Yes, yes, true, which is exciting, yeah. But, yeah, but also I just think if you you tried to um, have a gotcha moment on a podcast, if you snipped out um, a few seconds, I guess maybe that's what happened to Miley Yiannopoulos. But most people would be like, well, you know, I would listen to that full podcast to try and get the context there. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, and that's good. I think, I think that we need to get better at having conversations and podcasts, I think, are helpful to that. I think. Hope. Anyway. Are you a big consumer of podcasts? I do, yeah. Um, you know, I, w- I actually wish I could dial it back a little bit, yeah. but... I'm just addicted to Rachel Maddow at the moment. I listen to mm. the audio first show every day. Um, Trump cast, Bill Maher's real time, like just any America kind of digesting yep. what the hell's going on over there at the moment. Yeah, what is the hell going on over there? I can't even begin to try to think about it. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of that. Uh, Comedy Bang Bang, Little Dumb Dumb Club, um, Humans of Twitter. Please. <laughs> Please. Don't pander to me, Tom Ballard. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's America Live every now and again. Um, 
I don't know. There are some some podcasts I look at and I see I've got a new episode. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm not emotionally ready to listen to that, or I yeah. just don't have the brain space. Sometimes you just want some dumb, dumb, stupid shit to uh, listen to. That's fun. I've got a whole series of a podcast, like the, the entire collection. Yeah. Ready to go. Yeah. That every time I want to die, I just go, I'm not ready. It's too much. I, or or I know where this is going to head. Yeah. Because I've heard other people talking about it. It's like, I just... It's not yet. It's... And I try, I've try. i tried to do the listen to the other side thing through my podcast. So I signed up to Milo's podcast. Oh, yes. Couldn't get through it. Mm. <laughs> I just signed up to the Bolt Report. They run the audio mm. of that on there. Um, I haven't haven't got to that yet. Every time I see, see the uh, new episode come up, I just think I can't. Not today. I can't no. do it. I just see the clips of the Bolt Report pop up in things like the feed and other sure. like in uses for satire. Yeah. And go, how, it's a real show. How can people? I know it's a real show. That's the sad part. <laughs> but how can people watch this and go? This is quality content. Yeah. This well, is they a show I need to tune into. Yeah. Sky News is not exactly a, a huge force in the Australian media at this point. Well, and I think taken a turn for the worse, mm. given its change in ownership, that that's now divested itself of the other commercial networks that are part owners right, of okay. Sky, and now it's a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, News Limited, I think. Right, okay. So they own that little puppy. Yeah. And I think that's reflected in the, the tone and show's that are starting to pop up. Yeah, okay. And and the talent pool. I mean, it's it's interesting and I think important for something like Sky News to have, you know, former politicians engage mm. and, and, and provide their valuable insight, particularly if they're going to be talking about political issues. It's great yeah. that a journalist might know stuff, yeah. but someone that's been in the machine is going to have a little bit better of an idea, you'd hope. Mm. However, the catch or the way it's revealing itself is that often it's, well, broadly speaking, we're just getting cookie cutter, sure. the same guys that are going to tell us the same stuff. Though yep. I did see that Sky News have announced they've signed Stephen Conroy okay. as um, a commentator. Yep. So he, I'm sure, inevitably sit at the table with Christina Keneally and um, yep. Peter Credlin at some point. Right. There'll be daggers or something will happen. <laughs> um, yeah, they got, you know, Tracy Spice is on there. Mm. They've got that... Um, it's not all death. Richard no, Miles, Christopher Ryan. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they do bring in people in the same way that, you know, the ABC does a pretty extraordinary job of bringing people from yeah. uh, the Liberal Party and the Coalition and the IPA and Conservative commentators all the, the catch time. is, though, that the ABC are held under their own editorial policies yes. that come out of legislation that makes the ABC be a thing. Yes. Sky News is... Make TV. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, you know, the the accusation against the left of living our own bubble probably mm. has legs, but the idea that the, the same doesn't exist on the other side of politics is a furphy. I think that's pretty clearly a, a sweet echo chamber. If you read read Andrew Bolt's blog mm. and watch Sky News and listen to commercial talkback radio, you'd be um, you'd be pretty. I just need a ensconced daily. in I your need own to bubble. Scrape my skin off every day. <laughs> To take in that much of anybody, any one person's opinion. Yes. You've either got to be the massive fanboy or you, yeah. Like, you know, you, you look to these poor producers that have to log this stuff or, yeah. you know, find the moments to use when we're going to put a, particularly news satire shows like The Weekly and stuff mm. or McAuliffe. They're just grabbing these things and they happen for three seconds. Someone's, Someone's had to had watch, to watch that watch entire show. Oh, boy. Oh, I just can't. Tom, what challenges you? What challenges me? Great name for a game show. Um, yes. What challenges me? Um, uh, God. 
Sorry, this is not me struggling to think of something that challenges me. This struggles. This is me struggling to think about uh, what an articulate answer that question is. Um, I find life challenging. Life does just go on yeah. quite a while. I think that's something you realise as an adult. Ideally. You, ideally, yes, that's the dream. Um, all the trappings of being a human and pettiness, jealousy... Um, uh, self-interest, uh, you know, telling yourself that you're not where you're supposed to be in yep. life at the moment, um, trying to find love, um, food, failing <laughs> <laughs> to exercise, uh, you know, yeah, thinking that I'm wasting things, thinking that I, my work isn't quite good enough or, you know, what's going to be next for me. Um yeah, I find all that stuff challenging. Climate change, I know that's weird, but I just, whenever I think about that, I just think, well, that's, that's fucked, and that's hard to see much hope in, and I know I'm not doing anything to help that, that particular it's a, cause. It's not a thing. Oh, okay. been assured by the Trump administration it's not a thing. It's that's a why hoax. they're cutting a third of the EPA's budget. Yeah, that'll be fine then. Okay, good. Well, I feel better now. Yeah, just absolve yourself of any responsibility. Thank you. <laughs> What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Go! Um, I, well, okay, Dream World. Mm. I'm going to go to Dream World. Um, you would be the only one that is. <laughs> oh, they're not doing well. Um, I would uh, love to actually get this pilot done. Mm. I do have this this TV idea. I've got to fucking kick that into gear and actually get my, pull my, pull my finger out of my butthole and write that I have an idea for a play that I would like to get done and um, there is some kind of plan to build to buy some kind of real estate somewhere somehow yeah if those three things happen I'd be very happy with myself and obviously you know um, fix poverty <laughs> um, like you can just see the headlines you know Tom there's a theatre show pilot yes. Violet. Poverty as well. Well, you know, don't make, make a big deal about it. I would, I would also hope to achieve some kind of um, new way of thinking about doing political comedy that's actually going to get it in front of audiences that disagree with me. Yeah. And this is, this is part of the deal, right? That you write hilarious lefty affirming comedy and people who come to comedy festivals <laughs> or agree with you when they walk into the room. Sure. So... You know, one and I had an idea of like trying to make some kind of version of Boundless Plains to share that I could actually deliver in front of like a young liberal group, yeah, and be like, "Hey guys, no animosity here. This is just what I'm thinking. These are the facts I've come across, bringing me to this conclusion." You know, hopefully, I'll make you laugh in the course of this forty minutes or whatever, and then at the end of it, let's have a chat about it and where yeah. am I going wrong and why do you think differently. But that would have to be a very different version to the current, <laughs> which is me going like, check out these cunts and why are they being so mean? Oh, they are in your party and you idolise them. And super confronting too. It's, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, well, I'd be happy to try and pull on the heartstrings of young liberals and remind them that, you know, they can't support this current system that tortures people. And... Oh, and that the, the party of Fraser is responsible exactly. yes. for yes. who we are. Right. Um... Yes, so that's that's a sort of dream that I've got to tinker around a little bit more and figure out what's going on there. Hey, Tom. Yes. 
thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today, man. Steve, a pleasure. Please know the things that you've said are very special and you're highly valued. Oh, man. thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. That's very nice of you. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, if people were wanting to follow you in an internet situation, yes. what is the best way for them to do that? With my consent. Um, they can hit me up on Twitter at Tom C. Ballard. I'm on Facebook, Tom Ballard Australia, I believe, annoyingly. And, that is annoying. And uh, uh, is my website, so uh, all the detail- details of what I'm up to are there. And my podcast is up there too. Mm. Um, it's on iTunes too. You can subscribe to it there. It's called Like I'm a Six-Year-Old. Yeah, that's pretty much me. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Tom C. Ballard is indeed human. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray! Hooray!